This is Thrash It Out, a show where we listen to a heavy metal album and then argue about it. I'm Anthony Johnston. And I'm Brian Latendry, and today we are discussing the 2015 album from the Mighty Saxon, Battering Ram. Mmm, indeed. Yes. It's, yeah, this is, and this is part of your Respect Your Elders. It is part of my Respect My, Respect My Elders, Respect Your Elders uh, respect theme that I have. Elders. Respect <laughs> Your Effing Elders in rock and metal theme that I have had going on for this particular volume. And uh, it's funny that you say that because it really is as much of a reminder to myself to revisit and really think about how some of these bands were part of the landscape. Um, as it is a message to people who maybe have never listened to Saxon or, you know, whatever. Like me. <laughs> which is amazing. Uh, I know, which I it really amazed a few people on the Facebook group as well. But it's true. I had somehow Saxon completely passed me by. I mean, to the point where at the end of last episode, if you remember, I confused them with Magnum. Yes. Uh, now, in my defense... They, you know, Magnum are only a few years older than Saxon in terms of when the band was formed. Magnum are from Birmingham, my hometown. Saxon are from Yorkshire. It's not a million miles away. They have similar looking and sounding logos. They're both kind of trad rock on the edge of metal. At least that's what I remembered. So while fans of either band, I'm sure, were screaming at me, I think it's an understandable, you know, confusion to make. However, having now actually thoroughly listened to this album, I'm sure I will never make that mistake again. <laughs> well, I cannot wait until uh, to hear what you have to say about it because uh yeah, Saxon is a band that not only has this storied history but these periods of time where I feel like they've faded in and out of kind of the public consciousness at least in the states. I feel like they've been big over there, you know, forever and are, and have a much different standing overall, but I think for for metal fans over here that hasn't necessarily always been the case. So, it'll be fun to dive in and talk about that before we even get into the album. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, before we do that, a bit of follow-up. Um, first of all, <laughs> on the last episode, so somebody pointed this out uh, in the Facebook group, silly mistake by myself. Um, we were talking about, we mentioned Nine Inch Nails in the last episode. And I said, in response to something you said, that you said the album before Downward Spiral. Uh, you were talking about Head Like a Hole. And I said, oh, so Broken. Which, of course, Head Like a Hole is not on Broken. Of course, it's on Pretty Hate Machine. Yes, I know that. God knows, you know, I spent like, every Friday night dancing to it when I was in my 20s uh, at the local club. Um, my confusion came because you said the album before Downward Spiral. And that's that's true. It was. But I think of Broken and Fix, the follow-up, as albums, just because they, even though they were technically EPs, they were major releases. They were quite long so I, I think of them as albums. So that's why I made that mistake. Please stop telling me I got it wrong. I know. <laughs> I misspoke. Well, that happens from time to time. I mean, I must get 15 facts wrong over the course of any given episode. So, um, <laughs> But I'm glad that people care enough to, you know, to jump oh, in sure. and, and sort yeah, of yeah. share their knowledge. And as always, they, they do it in a way that is uh, educational as opposed to confrontational. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, right, that last episode obviously was our second listener choice talking about uh, Prong's album, Rude Awakening. And some interesting uh, conversation came out of that on the Facebook group. Absolutely. So, P.D. Lincoln said, uh, all-time favorite Prong album. Loved it when it came out. Love it now. First saw them in 1990, opening for Flotsam and Jetsam at the Paradise in Boston. Now, I weirdly kind of always associated Prong 
in that same group as Flotsam and Jetsam as well. Now, Flotsam and Jetsam, I could do a Respect Your Elders episode on because I that is a band that almost completely went by the wayside for me. And I have gotten back into because of their most recent album. But for mm-hmm. some reason, I always had Prong in that same sort of category as Flotsam and Jetsam of bands that I had like this passing familiarity with but weren't like a super fan of. Uh, Stewart said, it's a perfectly fine album, just for me doesn't hit the heights of Cleansing, which uh, or their 2007 album, Power of the Damager, seems a bit subdued in comparison to those two albums. Uh. Yeah, that's right. So I uh, went back and listened to those, their two previous albums, actually, after we'd recorded the episode, um, just to sort of compare, you know, compare and contrast. And I think... I mean, you know, call this a crackpot theory, but I think I know why Prong have always sort of flown under the radar. And it's because they don't seem to have... None of the albums, a bit like Rude Awakening, none of the albums are, I think, consistent enough to to have that sort of breakthrough, to yeah. have had that sort of breakthrough. Do you know what I mean? Like, there are some great tracks on Cleansing, but there are also some clunkers, just like on Rude Awakening. Um, and I can't even remember the name of the other album as well. But yeah, it seems like... Was it like Power they, of the Damager? Uh, might have been but it just seems that they haven't they never quite got that consistency in an album like you know every album that we talk about almost every album that we talk about you can generally pick out one or two tracks that the album could probably do without you know that are a bit of filler whatever but only one or two because that's what makes them great albums whereas it felt like the all of the prong albums are kind of maybe half you know, up to yeah. half of every album is just kind of not quite up to the standard of the rest of the album. You know, the very sort of sharp divide of quality between the two halves of the album. Uh, and But I don't mean side one, side two or anything. I just mean in terms of the quantity of songs. So, yeah, it's kind of, I do like what I've heard and I will continue to listen to them. But I think now I understand a bit better why they never quite broke through. Well, and I, I, that's an interesting topic for even larger discussion is the idea of bands who have never had a super consistent album. And that has kept them from the mainstream. I, I know certainly like mm. from a hair metal standpoint, like there's the battlefield is littered with, you know, corpses of bands who could not put together one super consistent album. Uh, although at that particular time, I feel like it was always their first album because that was the album that they had been, honing on the live circuit for years before they got their record deal. So everybody right. had kind of a good, good first album. It was that sophomore album that really kind of made her, made her. That's what the them. sophomore slump is. Yeah, it? absolutely. The difficult second album. Yeah. But that idea of bands who have had great songs over the years, but maybe haven't had that one or more, you know, landmark album where top to bottom, it feels like, you know, yeah. just completely solid. Cause we do talk a lot about those top to bottom albums on this show. Not every one we talk about is that, but a lot of the albums we talk about are just like consistent all the way through. And for bands that haven't had one of those, you get that whole like, yeah, I like some songs from them, but I can't think of one album that is the album that pops into my head when you say, you know, X band. Right. Or the album that kind of launched them onto a stage. Right. We even, I mean, uh, this came up in conversation again in the Facebook group, uh, Testament, you could argue have never had that album. You know, some of their earlier albums get close to it. Uh, and the, you know, it, it is, as we know with Testament fans, a matter of taste, you know, (laughs) because of, they had that kind of weird, you know, chasing the commercial, uh, stuff for a couple of albums. And then they went back to, you know, massive death hardcore. Totally in the opposite direction. Yeah. But, um, but the, but the, but my point is that even those albums that were chasing the commercial 
you know, success still weren't super consistent because you'd have like a strangely really heavy track in the middle of the, all this melodic yeah. metal stuff. And yeah, you know, they, you could argue that, that one of the reasons that they never broke through and became part of, you know, a big five or whatever is because they never quite had that big successful album that was consistent all the way through. Yeah, and interestingly, with a band like Testament, and I feel like there's a lot of the bands that we grew up with nowadays, and this is why we're so fortunate for this current era of music, is that some of the bands that we grew up with are putting out their most consistent work now, which is mm. crazy, right? I mean, you look at Dark Roots of uh, Earth, the Testament album from yep. a couple years ago. Well, and a Brotherhood lot of, people, of the Snake as well. I love Brotherhood of the Snake, but a lot of people would point to Dark Roots as like the Testament album for them, you know, now that was that beloved when it came Which out. Which is of, crazy, isn't it? Like 30, 40 years on. 100%, but, because for yeah. me, it, it, it's probably Souls of Black, which is like one of the least favorite albums that, uh, <laughs> that that people like of that. But as you mentioned, it's all about your taste. It's all about, you know, when that album hits you, which is so crucial and so important yep. of like how it, how it fits into your overall, you know, life soundtrack. Um, it could be an awful album commercially and and even from the fans, but it clicks with you. And so, yeah, Testament is one of those bands. And I would throw Exodus in there as well, right? As a band who has mm-hmm. had killer tunes over the years, but maybe hasn't had that one breakout album where people feel like, oh, that that made them a legend, you know? Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, it does feel like, within metal anyway, given that metal more than other genres is an album genre or was. I mean, this is the thing. Is that even true? I feel Anymore? like it, is, is, I feel like it is, but is that just me being an old man? I don't I, know. <laughs> maybe, but I don't want to know if it isn't. You know what I mean? Because uh, because we've talked about before about how like I can only listen to music through albums. I can only listen to music in order. You know, like I I, I can't. I'm not to this day. Like I don't do Spotify. I don't. I buy albums and I listen to whole albums. I do not. Uh, the only thing I put playlists together for for the most part is like when I'm writing a book. And I right, am right. making up my soundtrack. Playlist. Yes, exactly. I'll do that. It's almost like a Pinterest board for audio. But um, yeah, like I don't. <laughs> what a great description of a playlist. Yeah, a Pinterest board for audio. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but so it's like, yeah, I don't want to know. But I did. Someone just posted. I think it was Ricky Rackman who just posted a thing on Twitter the other day. There was a 2015 article that was saying that um, you know, looking at Spotify results or some sort of Spotify data, it it became abundantly clear that heavy metal fans are like the most loyal listeners of oh, yeah, bands yeah, and stuff yeah. like that, which I, I, that doesn't shock any of us, but I do think that that's one of the things that we still hold on to is like, yeah, people approach metal differently than they approach, um, you know, like pop because pop is very singles based, you know, and yeah. um, it's just a different sort of approach. But yeah, I, I still, in my head, tell myself that, no, that has not changed. It is all about albums, <laughs> you know. Uh, but yeah, it, it it probably has, sadly. But we, let's not talk about that. Let's move on. No. Um, <laughs> okay, let's look at some of the other feedback we got on this particular album. Um, let's see. Don said, I was both surprised and not surprised that this album, Up and Down, is all my kinds of jam. Uh, being a Rob Zombie Static X fanboy in the late '90s, I see the clear lines from Prong to them. Great stuff. So, I mean that yeah. that is a that's why this show exists, right? I mean for for people to uh, to 
make some of those connections. So that's awesome. Uh, Phil said, my only comment on this episode is that I wish I liked this album as much as I loved hearing Anthony and Brian talk about it. <laughs> Which is a lovely sentiment. I feel like that's a common refrain though, for, at least from a couple of people, you know, cause every episode is, is definitely not someone's cup of tea, you know? Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, David Lawrence said controller is a really great song and the riff was borrowed from Argyle Park's doomsayer off their first album or vice versa. I've heard multiple stories. I loved this prong album coming to it as did others from the industrial world of, you know, KMFDM, uh, pig, etc. So I had not, I did not know that I wasn't familiar with Argyle Park's doomsayer. I've never even heard of Argyle Park. So yeah. And I must admit, I didn't follow up on that and listen to it. So I can't, I can't really comment on it. And the, it's linked in the thread, so people can go and uh, check that out. Uh, Chris said, I thought a lot of this album had Nine Inch Nail vibes, but that could be more because I'm really into Nine Inch Nails, but haven't listened to that much industrial, so I lack the reference point. I don't think you mentioned it, but Charlie Clouser did a whole bunch of stuff with Nine Inch Nails, so there is definitely crossover there, too. Yeah, well, and uh, Reznor has said that Prong has been an influence on some of his work uh you know in the past so that 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 similarity is not i don't think it's accidental but at the same time i also don't think it's slavish you know i think it's just one of those in the same way that nine inch nails and ministry got kind of lumped together as part of the same Uh movement and you can see some similarities but they're clearly you know not because they're copying each other just because they're on the same kind of vibe so I, i think that's fair comment uh, Andy said, great episode, boys. I think you both were able to find plenty positive to say about what I thought to be a solid, good, but not great album. For me, it's the rhythm section who really star on this album, and the relatively clean drums forward recording really accentuates this, reminding me in places of albums produced by John Goodmanson, especially Dave Sardi. Uh, funny that Anthony invoked Killing Joke when he did. Uh, I made the same comparison one track earlier with Innocence Gone. <laughs> that drum pattern sounds like something right off of Fire Dances. Uh, yeah, no, that's fair. I, I mean, I could have made that comparison on several tracks, I think. And again, I think that's, you know, not a slavish thing, but just because there's a similar sort of feel and a similar vibe, vibe and yep. approach to things, you know. And it, again, it wasn't meant as a criticism at all. I love Killing Joke. Uh, Andrew said, not really my thing on the whole. I found that I got a bit bored when listening to more than a couple of tracks at once, and the cold, hard-edged sound of it doesn't do much for me, despite Kenneth's educational industrial playlist, uh, which is also linked on that thread, by the way. Uh, Some highlights here and there, but safe to say I won't be queuing it up again anytime soon. Saxon, though, I suspect will be a different story. I wonder if that proves to be true. Uh, And then Dave said, this was a rough one for me. I had only heard Snap Your Fingers, Snap Your Neck years ago, and I hated it. I couldn't remember why, and then I listened to this album and was reminded why. I don't like Prong. (laughs) He said, the white zombie comparison is apt, and I think the reason I don't like them is because of that. To me, they sound like white zombie with a less entertaining frontman. There's just something about Victor's vocals that don't do it for me. I often found myself liking the music, and then when the vocals came in, I was bored or annoyed. I also agree that the first half of the album is much stronger. Yeah, interesting, right? I mean, if you came in through white zombie, then maybe you see as opposed to coming in through prong and then seeing them in white zombie right yeah although i don't know for me the white zombie comparison i think there's even less there than there is nine inch nails um you know maybe i've listened to more white zombie (laughs) than most uh but yeah i kind of other than the fact that you know as was said it's a kind of drums forward production um and maybe the guitar tone but other than that the actual 
music and the style and it's Rob Zombie. Yes, I could see that. You know, Rob Zombie's later stuff is probably closer to what we had with that prong album. But White Zombie, where he actually had the rest of the band around him, I, I wouldn't say so. I, I would disagree with that. Uh, I think there's quite a quite a difference between the two. Uh, let's see what else we have here. Uh, Mike said, thanks for the latest podcast, Prongcast. He said, I've never, <laughs> never heard this band before and definitely enjoyed a couple of tracks, but if you want industrial, surely it's got to be Rammstein. Nothing else comes close. Yeah, yeah, this is where, like, Rammstein, I don't even think of them as industrial. They're, they're the Neue Deutsche Hart, um, you know, new, new German hard uh, music, as it was dubbed between them and Oomph, uh, another German band, you know, of a similar vein to Rammstein. Uh-huh. Um, it's not... It's not industrial. You know, yes, it's got that, again, drums forward kind of production, and it is martial in the same way that a lot of industrial music is. But they are not, to my mind at all, an industrial band. They're a good band. I like Rammstein. But I I wouldn't even begin to think of them when, you know, doing something like Kenneth's uh, industrial playlist, which, incidentally, anybody who's not familiar with industrial music and industrial metal should give a listen to it's a really good playlist but i wouldn't even think of including rammstein in a list like that so but you know this is where we get into genre arguments of you know what is industrial what is hardcore what is metalcore what's norbum you know and all of that so (laughs) each their own you know yeah and uh, if you want to dive deeper into that discussion certainly the thread is great and there's a lot of links that people have posted not only to prong songs off of different albums that they really liked or thought was a great representation of the band but some of those other bands that we just mentioned so that's why uh we love the facebook group because there's so much insight that comes in after an episode and people sharing their experience with the band and stuff like that and this was uh, no different yeah and people correcting me about Mistakes I made. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> seems to happen every episode. Uh, so this is a good as good a place as any to mention. Yes, the Facebook group is open to all. That is, you know, free and open. You just have to sort of, uh, unfortunately, we can't switch off the requirement to ask to be a member, but all you have to do is go and ask to be a member and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll approve you. It's all are issue. welcome. Um, yeah, exactly. And, you know, as we said before, it's a broad church. The Facebook group is remarkably uh wide broad tolerant uh, however you want to phrase it you know there's a, there's a remarkable spread of tastes and opinions there uh and yet remarkably well behaved it's uh it is a kind of oasis on the internet frankly of uh I love reasoned it. opinion yeah it's brilliant um and that brings us to uh the usual spiel about of course while that's free you can also get more if you want to help support the show by going to patreon uh, becoming a patron of the show, you can uh, donate. We, we literally ask for, you know, the minimum is just $1 per episode, uh, and that helps us keep the show running. And it also gives what we call the patron perks, which are the occasional backstage pass episodes we do with our patrons, uh, the listener choice episodes, which, of course, you just heard. We just did two of them in a row for this volume, uh, and the encore episode where we will revisit a different album by a band we've covered before. And that is coming up in a few episodes time. I'm not going to open the poll for that yet. I've got it scheduled to be uh, track 11 of this volume. So there's a few nice. to go yet because this is track eight. Um, uh, so there's a few to go yet, but I will open that poll soon uh, in an episode or two's time. And I'll mention it here on the show. And if you are a patron, you can vote in those polls and help influence the direction of the show. So go to patreon.com slash thrash it out to make your pledge. And we will be 
honored and grateful. Well, and the other thing I just want to throw out there, because we always forget, and it's not something that we actually like really make money off of or anything like that, but if you want the Goblin Thrash oh, t-shirt, the t-shirts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you can go on Redbubble. Um, is there a link to that on thrashitoutpodcast.com? Uh, do you know, now that you've said that, I'm not actually sure. I will make a note and I will I will put one up somewhere. Because <laughs> I buy, like every every six months or so, I buy another one and I have a couple of them at home that I'm constantly sort of cycling through at all times. But yeah, if you like the, if you like the Goblin Thrash icon, you can grab that on a Redbubble shirt. And the cool thing is they ship everywhere and also you get to choose from lots of colors for your background. So uh, I feel like we don't mention that enough and it is, it looks really cool on a shirt. So it's definitely, if you, if you want to rep the show, you can uh, grab one of those. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's get on to the band then. So Brian, tell us about Saxon. Well, that's a, that's a tall order, Anthony, because Saxon have been around for quite some time since uh, the mid seventies, in fact, and Saxon is one of those bands, like you mentioned at the top of the show, that this is a band that you that had pretty much gone right by you or you had never really checked into over the years. For me, Saxon was a band that I was aware of during my formative years, but never really got into their music. And the weird thing was that it really wasn't until probably this album where my sort of like of Saxon and my awareness of Saxon became an obsession with Saxon, which is one of the reasons that I chose this album because it's a very important album for me because it was the album that made me dig back into Saxon in a way where I really started to take a look at what they had done over their career. So f- formed in 1977, first well, album. And just, just to say, and to, it started because you saw them live, didn't it? It absolutely did. And that's very important when it comes to this album because. Uh, if you are, and first of all, for longtime Saxon fans out there, like apologies for not loving this band for the past 40 years, because <laughs> like they are, they have become one of my top five bands for sure. And it was wow. off of a live performance. And I, you know, I, I feel just to kind of put a general feel out there. One of the things that I feel has kept people from appreciating Saxon, maybe here in the States, as much as they probably should have, is that very few of their albums, from a production standpoint, have captured what they sound like live. And I feel like a lot of those albums, when you listen to them, come across as very much solid rock albums, but not, not getting to the heaviness of a Motorhead or of an Iron Maiden. Now, granted, there are exceptions all along the way, but from a production standpoint, I just feel like the even the heavier songs on their albums have not felt like they feel when you go to see them live. And this particular album has such an energy to it that I think it is a great depiction of what you feel when you go see Saxon Live. And so I, I my hope is that this album has turned some people on to Saxon who maybe haven't given them a a really fair shake in the past because they've heard a couple albums and you know nothing jumped out at them or uh you know they they didn't feel like Saxon was that heavy you know what i mean yeah who were they supporting when you saw them they were supporting armored saint ah, uh, right, yeah. or actually it was armored saint supporting them it was armored oh, saint on right, the right. 
uh, was it La Raza? No, it was Win Hands Down. So it was the Win Hands Down album, which I think we did on this show, we did. didn't we? That, Armored that Saint? was. I think that was the end of Volume One, wasn't it? Yeah. So that album uh, was my first time seeing Armored Saint, and that was the reason I went to that show. And I was like, oh well, Saxon's going to be there too, and freaking Saxon. That was a night. Uh, you know what? I'll save it till we get to the end. But l- that show blew me away on a number of different levels. But but this is a band who you know while not new to me was I was saw in a new light because of that. But when you look back over their history, I mean, they've been around since the seventies and they have been just consistently churning out music and churning out albums. This album, uh, battering Ram was their 21st album. And what's amazing about this album is I believe that Biff Byford was 65 years old when they recorded it. Yeah, sixty-five That's, years yeah. old when they recorded this album. I mean, it, it is nuts. Yeah, well, and the album is a couple of years old now, and they're still they've put another album out in the meantime, and they're still touring around. And if you go and uh, look at some videos, recent videos, I don't mean like from twenty years ago. I mean from you know last year of them performing live. They all still are Un- re- in remarkably good shape. Remarkable. I saw them, the last time I saw them, uh, and I'll mention it again at the end when we go through like set lists and stuff, was in March. So I saw them a year ago in uh, Connecticut with Judas Priest, and still one of the greatest live acts I've ever seen. And so ju- just the the consistency that these guys have brought to the table over the years, I mean, they've sold over 23 million albums worldwide. Um, they appeared at the first Monsters of Rock Festival. And uh, wow, the very first, the very first, <laughs> the band set was recorded, but not officially released until 2000. Uh, they also, uh, have been on top of the pops, as you might imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a period of time in the nineties. Uh, it says on Wikipedia during 1994, Saxon recorded the album dogs of war just after recording was completed. Graham Oliver was fired by the band. They replaced him with Doug Skerritt, who is still in the band nowadays. Uh, a longtime friend of drummer Nigel Glocker, Saxon recorded a new music video for Dogs of War. They go on to say basically that it was during that period of time where they were going a little bit more commercial, and there mm-hmm. was a real division between Saxon fans of old who see them as kind of the way I see them, which is as a as a other side of the coin to Motorhead. You know, I feel like when you look at Iron Maiden and Judas Priest, those two bands are often thought of together. And often right, right. thought of as like two sides of the same coin. And I feel like Saxon and Motorhead are very much two sides of the same coin. Saxon, through much of their music, even though they they really hit on a lot of fantasy themes and a lot of uh, crusades sort of themes and things like that, they are very much a motorcycle metal band. And a lot of their songs are about, you know, motorcycle culture and, and they're just a... they. They're a bar band at heart. And so well, and a working class band, yeah. Absolutely, band. dude. And so, you know, whereas Motorhead may have been consistently heavier and more punk and um, you know, is is sort of thought of probably in general as a, as heavier than Saxon. I think Saxon is right there when you look back over their discography, even though I don't think the production a lot of times did them any favors, but I see them well, as... Well, you could say the same about a lot of Motorhead albums, Absolutely. <laughs> but I see them as... Um, but but interestingly, like I think Motorhead is a go-to for 
for many metal fans, right? As like Motorhead, everything louder than yeah. everything else. Whereas I feel like Saxon may be not seen in the same light by a, a lot of metal fans overall. And I think they should be, which is why well, I hope that people will go back and dig you, in. It's funny you say this because uh, apparently when I was re- reading up about the band, they were really good friends. Uh, and in fact- Very good. Saxon and Motorhead toured back in like 1980, as you know, on one of both for both bands, one of their first tours, uh, and basically were friends ever since. And in fact, the album that follows this, which I think was called Thunderbolt, it was, um, has a track on it which is a tribute to Lemmy, recorded after Lemmy's death, called They Played Rock and Roll. And, and it it's is. played in a Motorhead style, it has the D beat and everything, it sounds almost like a Motorhead track. <laughs> it is 100% a Motorhead track, and uh, they play that at in concert and things like that, they toured quite a bit with Motorhead over the years and and were friends. And it got me to thinking of like um, that whole Big Four conversation. And obviously, uh, you know, people's uh, tastes will affect that. But but I feel like Saxon, Judas Priest, Maiden, and Motorhead to me are those four bands together. Well, they're the, they're the UK Big Four. I mean, that's yeah. the I think that's the thing. The the Big Four that we think of in Thrash. Right. obviously are, are all American bands. But if you were to ask most people in the UK to name a heavy metal band, they would, well, most people would name Motorhead, Maiden or Priest. No question. Yep. I don't think most people would name Saxon, but if you ask a metal fan to name four standing, you know, who's the big four of British metal, I think Saxon would probably be in there. Like, I mean, like I say, I wasn't that familiar with the band, but I still knew who they were. Yeah. And I knew that they were a longstanding banned from that era. So even I might have, you know, if you'd asked me who beyond those three, Saxon might have been the next band well, that I would name. And now they almost certainly would be. And when you talk, you know, like Sabbath fans obviously have, you know, their... Right, but Sabbath are kind of sui generis. Sabbath kind of, st- yes, obviously they're a metal band, but they kind of stand, you know, they invented this for fuck's sake. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's impossible to put Sabbath in a group with other bands. They're just Sabbath. They're just and their own thing. Right, right. And I think actually, I mean, I don't know, I'd have to sort of test this out, but I have a feeling that most people in the UK probably wouldn't name Sabbath if you asked them to name a heavy metal band because Sabbath are just Sabbath. You know, yeah. they're, they're kind of, <laughs> I don't know, it's, uh, I think they're actually known more as the epitome of metal in the US well, because of things of, like it, Ozzy Osbourne and the biting their heads off bats and all that rubbish, you know, than they are in the UK, really. In the UK, they're just, it's like Deep Purple. People don't think of Deep Purple as a heavy metal band in the UK or Led Zeppelin. They're just, you know, they're they a band unto themselves. They, just, they yeah. just are their own thing. Yeah. And and I, I feel like Saxon is in that uh, Testament Exodus slot. You know what I mean? Mm, where mm. where they have their diehard fans who would absolutely, you know, tell you that they are 100% in that discussion. And then you might get some debate about that. But, but you, what you can't debate is, again, 23 million albums sold worldwide have pretty much been consistently big outside of the United States, it's the U.S. that things have sort of ebbed and flowed. But I feel like right now they are really in a great spot in terms of, you know, U.S. metal fans and they, you know, it people coming out to It sounds to me like they're them. having more success in the U.S. now than they are in the U.K. Um, probably not than in Germany, which I gather in the 90s and 2000s, pretty much their entire career took place in Germany. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, when they were kind of, when every, everybody, all the traditional rock bands were on that downswing, but Germany, bless them, stayed the course throughout. Uh, whereas now it seems like Saxon are having enormous success in the US compared to Europe. 
Well, and listen to the, I mean, they've had some lineup changes over the years, but Biff Byford, obviously there since 77, Paul Quinn on guitar there since 1977, uh, Doug Skerritt, who is basically their newest member, 1996. So he's been there for 23 <laughs> years now. He's the new boy. <laughs> Nibs Carter, who joined the band when he was 22, the bass player, 1988. And then Nigel Glocker has been in and out a couple times, 81 to 87, 88 to 99, and then 2005 forward. I mean, longevity for the core of this band. And when Nibs came in, he was kind of looked at as almost like that piece that gave new life uh, to the band. And what I didn't realize in doing my homework for this episode was that he is a primary writer of... He seems to be the main musical songwriter, yeah. Him and Biff really um, are the main driving force in terms of, you know, writing new songs. And when you listen to the way that he plays bass, and good Lord, if you've ever seen him in concert, like, Nibs is a maniac. He is just an absolute maniac. He runs around the stage constantly. I I feel like the vertebrae in his neck are shattered because (laughs) he just never stops headbanging. He is constant, like, the amount of energy that that dude puts out... um, so yeah, long, I mean, just absolute longevity in the band, you know, they, they, as we mentioned, toured a lot with Motorhead. Uh, this was their 21st album. They have since put out a 22nd, you know, uh, studio album and they just never stop and they're always touring. And so, you know, uh, there was a couple of interviews that I pulled up. There was around the time that this album came out, there was one with a site called the rock pit and they were talking about how there had been some really good reception critically of Battering Ram when it came out in 2015. And the guy asked Biff, you know, is that something you pay much attention to, you know, as far as the critics and stuff? And he said, you know, I think with this album, we've been taking notice because it's our 21st album and we think it's one of our best ones in the fact that it's a bit different. He said, so we're looking at the reviews and I don't think we've had too many bad ones, but there's always going to be bad ones, you know, but you got to keep your fingers crossed. Uh, the guy said, do you, you mentioned that it's a little bit different there's some different stuff on here. Was that the intention? And he said, well, I wanted it to be a bit more focused stylistically. I wanted it to be a bit, not, not so many different styles. Although one of the tracks is kind of off the wall. He said, but me and bass player nibs more or less wrote a lot of the initial guitar riffs. So I suppose in that respect, it's not stylistically different. And so I, I pulled that because he's talking specifically about how him and nibs, you know, are the primary songwriters there. They go on to talk about how they worked with Andy Sneap on this album, which you know, you know how I feel about Andy Sneak. <laughs> they say, you know, the guy said he's a great producer and great musician. What was it like working with him? He said, uh, you know, we'd worked with a bit with him on Sacrifice. He said, I like working with Andy. It's good fun. We get on really well. We like the same food. He said it was more having fun doing the vocals. It was good fun, very relaxing. He's not a really high pressure producer, if you know what I mean. Mean. He says long hours, lots of wine, lots of curries, and that's the secret to his producing. He's very relaxed and very good. Which I think is pretty cool, right? Because he obviously has worked with a ton of people, and I. Oh love, yeah, he's like you know, he's one of the most prolific metal producers, you know, working today. But I think uh, uh, that part of the reason, and this, you know, maybe this is difficult for people outside the UK to understand. But Andy is from. Uh, I don't. I'm not sure if he's actually from South Yorkshire himself, or if he's from Nottinghamshire. But Nottinghamshire is like right, you know, it's on the border with Yorkshire, and obviously Saxon are from Yorkshire and there's Yorkshire is kind of, it's, it's hard to describe <laughs> to people who don't know it. Yorkshire is almost like a country into unto itself. 
uh, within the UK. It has a very, very strong identity, uh, regional identity. They regard themselves quite highly, let's say. Um, you know, they are very, most people from Yorkshire are very, very proud of being from Yorkshire. But one of the things they pride themselves on is being very down to earth and not being. It sounds like New Jersey. Uh, maybe, maybe. But they pride themselves on, on not being starstruck, on just being normal blokes, you know, and normal people with normal lives who just happen to be better than you. That's that's that, generally the. the it's funny that you mentioned that too, but that's kind of where Overkill comes from with their with their New Jersey vibe. Right, right. You know what I mean? <laughs> like we're the Garden State, and uh, you know this very blue collar, but we work harder than you. You know, there's this badge of honor coming from here. Um, right, exactly. So I think the the fact that Sneep, as I say, I'm not sure if he's actually a Yorkshireman or if he's just Yorkshire adjacent, but the fact that he comes from that area of the country, I think, is probably. A great help, you know. I, I can well imagine that they got along very, very well indeed. Because Byford, having listened to him in interviews, is still very much a Yorkshireman. <laughs> yeah, well, and and so that in this particular interview, the guy said, you know, do you think that Saxon is in a better place now than it has been in a long time? And he said, yeah, I think musically we're in a great place, but I, I and I think we've struck a little bit of a golden sea with this one. So hopefully we can carry on with this for quite a while. And it got me thinking of how this album really hit me and was like, dude, how have you not been just obsessed with this band your entire life after hearing this album and seeing them live? And I do feel like this, like even they kind of recognized that this was an album where it was kind of a take notice that a Saxon are still around B Saxon are still bringing it. Um, and C go see this band live. And so, uh, I just thought that was, that was an interesting, um, piece there because they're in, in 2019, you know, it's the 40th anniversary of their first album, which to say that sentence out loud is just ridiculous. You know, right, right. For, that's, uh, pretty ama- that's amazing for any musician, any let alone musician. a rock band. And for yeah. a guy pushing 70 who's still going out and belting it out like this, um, just a couple more interview things. Uh, Eon Music had an interview with him. Um, he talked about the writing process too. He says, I tend to arrange everything. Nibs comes up with a lot of ideas, and I work uh, with Nibs quite a lot on basic stuff. Whenever we get something, we work on it. And he was talking about how he will contribute bass, he'll contribute guitars. You know, him and Nibs really kind of frame out the songs and then sort of bring it to the rest of the band, and and they go from there. Um, They also talk about uh, Paul Gregory, who is the guy who did the artwork for this album. And this all guy, of their albums, Yes, I think. dude, 17 Saxon albums. And the one that always jumps out to me is the Crusader um, cover art. But he is an amazing fantasy artist who, if you if you have not heard, um, Paul Raymond Gregory is the artist that does a, most of Saxon's album covers, but also just has some amazing, like, Tolkien stuff. And just, if, if you're a fantasy, like, D&D nerd, holy crap, this guy is an absolute goldmine. And the killer for... The cover for Battering Ram is pretty killer, too. Um, so that's why I pulled that quote. And then um, they talked about collaborating with with uh, with Gregory. And he says, um, they say, he's been collaborating with you, with you since Crusader. Have you any favorites from the covers that he's done? And, and Biff said, yeah, I like Heavy Metal Thunder, the guy with the flag on the horse. They still use that for t-shirts nowadays. He says, I love Lionheart. Um, you know, when I asked... He says, uh, it's pretty cool. His forte is painting scenes, like battle scenes. When I ask him to do like helmets and things, it's a bit like 
what, just a helmet you want. <laughs> like he wants to do, <laughs> he wants to do the full painting with the background and the lighting source. And, and he's really great at that. So that's pretty awesome to have that relationship with a, with a album cover artist, because back in the day, I feel like in the eighties, like there was that, was it Pusshead That was the Metallica yeah, yeah. Um, guy who did a lot of their stuff. Um, you know, Megadeth had an artist that they worked with pretty regularly for their covers. And there was, uh, and obviously Iron Maiden. So there was this like, you know, idea back in the day of almost like comic book mentality of like, yeah, this person does covers for us. Like they're, they're amazing. And there was an actual look that a band would get over the course of several album covers that would really become a look that people associated with them. And I definitely feel yeah. like with Saxon, oh, well, it is those we battle mention, scenes. Uh, we should mention Motorhead's Snaggletooth as well, which was yes. uh, Joe Pitanio. Yeah. Yeah. Same, so, same thing. It's And he did, he didn't do all of their covers, but he did a fair amount. And he certainly, obviously, in designing Snaggletooth, that's, you know, the iconic Motorhead image. Right. Um, I think that's all I had on him. And then the last one, there was an interview with Nibs where they were just talking about the songwriting process, but he mentioned that, uh, you know, back in the day, they were saying, this is your 25th year with Saxon. And he said, yeah, it's over half my life. He said, when I joined the band, I was a fan of Saxon. He said, we always get a special feeling starting a tour and take an album out after you're recording. It is great. Basically a celebration of the fact that we stick together and it's going to be a huge privilege to be able to visit again, so many different places, especially this time. And he really just goes on to talk about how he came into the band as a fan he appreciates every day that he gets to be in Saxon, coming out and playing for people and and bringing that night in and night out and making sure that they get their money's worth is like super important to him. And I feel like that's exactly what you see when you see Saxon live. Like, you, Here's an interesting thing about Nibs Carter. He joined them almost the same time that Jason Newstead joined Metallica. Wow. Yeah. And the same thing, a young bassist who was a fan. Difference being, obviously, that <laughs> Nibs is still with the band. <laughs> well, and Jason was never allowed to come anywhere close to the creative process that Nibs has enjoyed well, but in, in Saxon. He wasn't really in the band long enough right. to do that, was he? Yeah. That was the problem. Yeah. But they, they, it was an arm's length sort of relationship to begin with, whereas here it seems like he, they, they really embraced what he brought to the band sort of right away. Right. Um, and he doesn't get... Uh, the other thing, too, is you can hear his bass on the albums oh, yeah. that yeah, Nibs yeah. plays on, which is great. Uh, because he's a really good bassist and probably doesn't get anywhere near the respect that he deserves because there's some great bass lines on this album here. But yeah, I mean, it's cool to go back and look at some of the interviews these guys were doing at the time. I mean, it, it feels like they have never taken things for granted or you know felt like they uh, didn't have to earn whatever it was that they were getting from the fans. Like They've just had this very sort of workmanlike mentality that I've appreciated. And to go back to the time that I saw them live, and I may have told this story on, on the show before, what blew me away about Saxon the first time that I saw them is the crowd was tiny. We went to see them in this little place in Connecticut, and it was Armored Saint and Saxon. Armored Saint opened, Saxon was a headliner, and there was not a lot of people there. And they came out as if they were playing at the Monsters of Rock Festival. Right, yeah. yeah. And just... Absolutely. I mean, Biff made some comment coming out of like, well, I guess this is going to be an intimate evening, you know, with you guys, and then proceeded to put on a show like they were in front of as if they were at the Rose Bowl or something. Dude, it was un. And I just was so. I literally every song I turned to. I was with Matt, you know, my my buddy uh, Matt Herring, and I every song I just turned to him and were like, these guys are amazing. 
I can't believe what we're seeing right now. It was like, it was one of those concert experiences where you go and you're just like, I can't believe we're here right now. I can't believe that, that we're actually witnessing this. And they, they just brought it. And then I got to see them in packed houses after that. And it is that and then more. And so yeah, yeah. it's just like un unfreaking believable. So I just I, I think that's I, what you get with a road band, isn't it? You know, yes. with a, especially one that's been on the road for so long, uh, but also that has made its name through being a road band. It's yep. like, okay, well, this is the job. This is what you do. They have the um, whole uh, Warriors of the Road sort of mantra that you see yeah. on their banners and stuff like that. Like, yeah, they, Mo- it, Motorhead again were the same. You know, when they were playing, because they had the same kind of dip in fortunes and then resurgence towards the end. And when they were playing, you know, smaller houses, I I didn't see them at those places, but I'm told, uh, you know, I know people who did see them when they were playing to maybe four, four or five hundred people, uh-huh. which for a band like Motorhead, obviously, is you know, that's a ridiculously small crowd, but. Back in the 90s and early 2000s, that was the size that they could draw. And they still, as you've you know, as you seen yourself, did the whole, we're here to clean your clock. Yes, dude. <laughs> St- stand back <laughs> thing, you know. Never, um, never like entitled or never, um, you know, jaded to the fact that like, this is not what we deserve. Like we deserve more than this or we, you right, know, we right. deserve more recognition or we're, we're a legendary band. Like it's. Um, and I had the good fortune to meet Biff Byford after a show where we saw them with UFO and he was freaking great, dude. Like just hanging out outside the bus on the street with, uh, <laughs> just like, because we had VIP passes this night that I, that we went to see him and, um, the show ran late. And so the whole VIP thing like didn't come together. And uh, so we, right. we were ended up walking out of the place and we turned the corner and Biff's hanging out outside the bus, just talking to probably 15, 20 people hanging out. And we went over. I got a picture with him. We talked. Like, he just uh, very down-to-earth and very, you know, cool guy. And when you think about how long they've been doing this, like, that is a band that, especially with the success they've had outside of the States, could be anything but that. Oh, but they, that's yeah, not right. They've got they nothing are. to prove. So, Absolutely, yeah. dude. Yeah. Talking, um, talking about how long they've been going, um, I noticed Metal Observer pointed out that when this album was released, the band had a combined age of 262 years. <laughs> That's unbelievable. I love that, man. 262 years. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Uh, but but uh, one thing I, I've got to point out, the drummer, right? So um, what's his name? Nigel. Again? Uh, Nigel Glockler. Right. So he apparently had a brain aneurysm a few years ago uh, and, you know, sort of obviously stopped touring for a while and everything, and but has made a recovery. And now he's back playing like this at his age, having had dude. a fucking brain yep. aneurysm. Holy shit. It is holy it's, shit. Like it's, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. I mean, if they were putting out like, easy listening slow jams at this point in their career you could forgive that because right, you'd be like well for crying yeah. out loud you guys have been around for you know 40 years now i think it, it, it that's fine if you want to settle down a little bit nope they're actually getting heavier as they're as they or at least the albums are a better representation of their live you know energy well, well no i mean i would i wouldn't walk that back because i mean i can't you know, compare it to their earlier material because I'm not that familiar with it other than the couple of singles that people posted links to, which really are not my thing. And that's probably why I wasn't into them when they were, you know, big in the 80s. Um, but 
There are some tracks on this album. I mean, this, this album is very much a kind of, you know, some of them are quite trad Norbum style metal, you know, dad yep. metal. Um, but there are also a few tracks on this album that frankly outdo Maiden in terms of we are we sound modern and we are still really fucking heavy. You yep. know? Uh I was quite surprised at how heavy some not all, but some of these tracks are, much more so than anything I've heard from Maiden or frankly, even Judas Priest, you know, in recent years. I know Priest are more thrashy, their style is more thrashy, but in terms of actual heaviness. I'm, you know, every time they put out a new album and I know you love them and people sort of go, eh, new priest album, whoa, so heavy. And I listen to it and I'm like, yeah, still kind of sounds like stuff my dad listened to, you know? Uh, yeah, and I'm not knocking it necessarily, right. but it's just, it's just not, not hitting you that way. Right. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Whereas there were some tracks on this album where I'm like, okay, this sounds, if you take, because Biff's vocals obviously kind of give it away a bit. Um, cause you know, bless him. He's brilliant, but he is almost 70 and you can tell. Yep. Um, but if you took those out and replaced him with, you know, sort of a 30-year-old metal vocalist or something, you would never know that this was an old band on some of the tracks on this album, which you really can't say about, you know, the last Judas Priest album or Mo- uh, Maiden's output in recent years. So, yeah, I don't think you should walk that back. I think they are heavier now than a lot of their contemporaries have become. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, and I feel like a lot of that, is due to their rhythm section Mm. because Mm. that's where not only does uh, I do, I feel like Andy Sneap does a great job of bringing that out in the records that he, you know, produces and and engineers, but I feel like specifically nibs and uh, Nigel, they lay it down, man. They bring the thunder. And when you put those sort of, crunchy razory riffs over the top of it and then you have i i think of biff byford as the metal version of bon scott like that's who he reminds right. me of he yeah, has yeah, yeah. he's got the grit he's got a little bit of the gravel but he also has this uh swagger to the way that he sings that to me feels very bon scott and bon scott is my favorite frontman of all time and so maybe maybe Dio and Bon Scott, 1-1-A, um, <laughs> you know, in, in terms of that. But I definitely feel that with him. And so when you put that all together, they do have this, like, bar band feel, but a metal version of a of a bar band, you know? Yeah. And that's where I feel like, you know, they, they are such a good, um, especially with the sound that you hear in this album, a good complement to Motorhead. There's actually a track on this album that that brought ACDC to mind very oh, specifically for, for me. Sure. So, I wonder well, if it's the same one. But I yeah. was just going to say. Well, and I want to I want to know because I have a, a definite favorite on this album, and I suspect you do too. And I want to see if our guesses about those because I don't think they're the same track. And oh, I, I, I want to see if our guesses are you know correct. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, one thing I will say about this album is that I really appreciate is there is very little wasted space. Like uh-huh. even, even the more sort of dad metal tracks, you know, they get in, they get out, they have a minimum of fucking around. I, yeah. I appreciate that. Um, I am more inclined to re-listen to this, frankly, than Grinding Wheel. Yep. Even though Grinding Wheel is definitely heavier and thrashier, no question about that. But the songs on this one, I think, are much better constructed. Yes. And, you know, the, at no point in this album, there are occasions in this album where things kind of slide away. 
But at no point do I think, God, is this still going? Which right. Do they did lose happen you? a few times during Grinding Wheel. You well, know? and since you mentioned that, I'll just put a, a little plug in for The Wings of War, which is the new Overkill album, because if your reaction to Grinding Wheel was that some of the meandering kind of lost you, this album is much more efficient. So they just oh, okay. released a, a The Wings of War. And if you didn't like how they would kind of wander away in the middle of a song and then come back, there's a lot less of that on this oh, album. Okay. It's much more efficient and much I'll more sort of then, yeah. back to basics uh, sort of approach. Uh, and it's great. It's an awesome album. So, um, All right. Brilliant. So is there anything you, more you want to talk about the album before we get to the individual tracks? No, because I think it'll all come out in the wash when we talk yeah. about that. <laughs> it tends to. <laughs> all right. So let's kick it off then with track one, the title track, Battering Ram. As far as openers go, you've got this great sort of lead into a crushing riff. And right off the bat, as that first riff is coming in and then the drums and the bass come in, <clears throat> you can feel the way that Nibs plays bass, which is basically by like pounding his fist on it every time that they, <laughs> like, <laughs> he, like he does have this sort of bow, 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 you know, that you can get right any you and he gets much more nuance over some parts of the album, but right off the bat, like you can, you can feel the way they like to write songs for Saxon. Like this is right. a good example of what a Saxon song in this era of the band sounds like. And it is that, you know, driving riff, galloping drums, hammering on that bass and then anthemic choruses. And that's, that's what you get from Saxon. Do you know what really surprised me about this track? I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's nice and lean. It's a really good riff. But what surprised me the most about this riff is how thrashy it is. Yeah, like which isn't you know they're not a thrash band; they're a Nwobin band. And yet, this is a really thrash metal style riff, and it is pretty heavy. Yeah, I thought it was. Um, I thought it was a bit weird at first that the chorus is slower than the verse. You know, you expect the sort of chorus to be to to kind of go up and be higher energy than the verse, which, yep. and it's the other way around, which at first was a just a bit weird, but I will say that it's grown on me. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think the chorus is quite as epic as it could be, but it, no. it has grown on me for sure. Um, I yeah, agree with really, every bit of that. It's a really good, heavy, you know, smash you in the face opening track. I like the double entendres in the lyrics as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Byford's, you know, he's not a bad lyricist. Some of them are a bit on the nose. Sure. 
But I do like that. I mean, the song is obviously a kind of, you know, rock out to metal, the whole metal church thing. Um, but the imagery he uses in part is also that of medieval war to go with the battering ram metaphor. So you've got things like barricades and screaming hordes and will you stand or fall, that sort of thing, which is, you know, it's, it may be kind of obvious, but it's nice. At least there's a bit of intelligence and thought that's gone into lyrics that are basically about, Hey, isn't heavy metal great? Well, and he's, (laughs) and the, that is very Saxon too, right? They they call to mind a lot of that imagery, and when he can use it in sort of two ways, you know, so much the better. And yeah, I yeah. really like it at about two minutes and twenty seconds, where he's saying, you know, let me hear your battle call, and you hear the background vocals, you know, sort of that soaring whoa yeah. uh, is really great. And then you get a trade off rip and solo, which is awesome. Um, and then they come right back into the riff, and again, I, I just feel like Nibs is going to break that bass right in half with the way he's <laughs> pounding on it, which I just, I love that. And and again, part of that for me is uh, the way that Andy Sneap pulls that stuff together as well, is that you don't you don't lose anything there. And and I know like some people are a fan of his style, and some people are not biggest the biggest fans of his style, but what I do love is that I, I feel like when I listen to an album that Andy Sneap has worked on, I hear every instrument and every instrument gets its time to shine. And I yes. just, I love that. And so I, but I feel like this is not only a great opening song, it has become since this album launched the song they open every show with. This is oh, what they okay. open with. Battering Ram is how they open a show now. Well, and like we said, it's a damn good opener. So yep. I'm not that surprised. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're right. The thing that I like, I mean, I, I like a bit of grungy scuzz, you know, fuzzy production and stuff, you know, things like Motorhead and Early Sabbath, where the production isn't anything but clear and you can't hear every instrument. But, you know, and I love that. But at the same time, obviously, I acknowledge that it's not appropriate for every band. And if you're going to try to make every instrument audible, you know, and give every instrument its moment in the sun, as you say, then Sneep is a, seems to be a master of it. Like I can't think of a single album we've done of that he's produced where you every instrument isn't just absolutely clear in the mix, and you can yeah. kind of shift the focus of your listening to you know to a particular instrument at any given time, and you can find it, and it's right there, and it's audible, but it also all comes together as a whole. It's uh, it's kind of remarkable. Well, and for me, like that is that's the way my brain works when I listen to music. And so it happens to play into the way that I like to listen to music, which is, it's one of the reasons I, I love Megadeth. Like I like to, I like to hear uh, the, the technicality of each sort of instrument. And it gives me reasons to keep going back and listen. Like I'll go through and listen to this album and just listen to the drums in my head and just listen to what, you know, what uh, Nigel's putting down or you know, I'll just listen to the bass, or I'll just listen to the guitars, and um, he gives uh, he give, affords me the opportunity to do that with the way that he puts these albums together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, great opening track, good ending as well. Um, and then on to track two, the Devil's Footprint. Protect thyself from fear and pain. The Devil's Footprint comes again. The 
number of the beast <laughs> oh totally yeah right so so the uh the opening narration for this track is done by david bauer from hell um and there has been i've seen i saw some reviews that were a bit confused because he's credited as narration on this album and i think they thought that he narrates the final track uh, or rather the penultimate track you know uh-huh. um uh kingdom of the cross but that's not that's biff and you can yeah. tell just yeah, because 100 percent, just because of their accents if nothing else um but yeah david bower is the bower bower however you say is the lead singer of hell um and incidentally who plays live with hell why that would be mr andy sneak yep. on guitar Absolutely. Uh, so <laughs> you know small world and again they're from that same they're from nottinghamshire that same area just south of yorkshire in uh northern england um i Hell is a band that I'd heard of, but I've never been that familiar with them. Just to check, I went looking for video for interviews with David Bower just to listen to his voice and go, oh, okay, yeah, that's definitely him um, because of that confusion. And I found a, and I'm going to put this in the show notes, I went looking on YouTube and I found a video of them performing at the 2012 Rock Hard Festival in Germany. Um, uh, and it is fucking nuts. It is, <laughs> it is one of the most theatrical over-the-top performances I've ever seen. And we're not talking sort of G-War levels. It's not like they've uh-huh. got, you know, a, a million-dollar rig or anything, but just Bauer himself and the rest of the band is kind of... It's just like, what the hell? It's so theatrical. It's all clearly done with, you know, a massive tongue-in-cheek, uh, you know, done for the theatre effect, but it's also a really fucking good song. Um, it's called Master and Blasphemer or something like that. I can't remember. Um I'm going to link to it in the show Please notes. do, it, because you, you've you now hooked me it. with the theatrical um, stuff, because oh, yeah. you know I it, love that. The guy literally comes out with a crown of thorns and a fucking blood-stained whip. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, All right. flagellating I'm himself. It's <laughs> uh, singing about Satan and shit. It is fucking great. <laughs> that is awesome. I can't wait to see it. Anyway, but, so yes, he does the intro to this track. Uh, and then you get this incredibly pounding, groovy riff totally i just love and this is my favorite track on the album i'll say that right really now. that's yeah. awesome it is it's not my favorite track on the album but i love that it's your favorite track on the album because i feel like this is another one where you just have that thunderous galloping rhythm between the drums and the bass oh yeah um, yeah and i love at like a, around the 220 mark where he's saying see the devil riding out tonight and the and it and they're playing the riff and then that sort of descending notes after it. So freaking good, dude. Yeah. The middle eight is great. Oh I, my I mean, God. I, it's I, so I could, good. I could kind of care less about the solos, but the drums and the rest of that middle eight are just fantastic. Uh, well, the, the chorus, I mean, it gets a bit Euro metal with sure. all the keyboards on the chorus, but you know, I, it's okay. And I think in a track like this, I think you've earned that because the main riff is blistering. It's so good. So heavy. 
And as you say, the rhythm section is so tight that I think you kind of, you know, you've earned the a bit of choral keyboard cheesiness. <laughs> and I like that that sort of um, drum beat where it's charging ahead and then it just sort of hits the brakes a little bit and slows down and then charges forward ahead and hits the brakes a little bit. And they do that a lot during the solo on this particular song. But it was also something you saw with the chorus in uh, Battering Ram. I kind of like that because they sort of subvert your expectations on some of these songs where instead of accelerating, they decelerate, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And also Byford absolutely lets rip on this track. I love his vocals and the the scream at the end again for a man approaching 70. Holy shit. I I couldn't do that when I, when he was in my twenties, let alone now. (laughs) Well, I'm still younger than him now. (laughs) A guy who is not Rob Halford, right? A right, guy, right. And that's where the Bon Scott thing comes into me. Like Bon Scott, when you listen to him, like unconventional range, but but just a completely unique approach, you know, and that's what I love about Biff is that he he only sounds like him, you know? Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Unmistakable. I, I will. Yeah. I will g- give you that. So, I mean, like I said, this is my favorite track. I'm assuming it's not yours, but what do you think of it? I freaking love it. It's awesome. I especially because when it starts out and you're like, "Ooh, this sounds like Number of the Beast." Like where it goes from there is in a completely different direction. And yes. so any sort of, "Oh, this is their Number of the Beast." Like that gets slapped out of your face immediately with the riff that comes, you know, after it. And I do love the thunder because and it's a faster song than Battering Ram. And so it it lets you know that yeah, Battering Ram came out and threw down the gauntlet and we're not going anywhere. You know, we're we're going to take it up another notch here, um, which I really like. Yeah. yeah. It's a great like, one-two punch. It, it is. And this is one of those tracks where I think, you know, if you had somebody younger, somebody who obviously sounded younger than Biff singing on this, you could put this out and people would just assume it was a modern metalcore band or something. Yep. It's uh, yeah, and also before that final scream, the end gets very, very epic, which uh, which I think is suitable for because it is kind of a cheesy song, for sure, in in a really good way. <laughs> so yeah, I, absolute thumbs up from me for that one. Yeah, I mean, sometimes they'll delve into almost Dio-esque territory with the images that Biff is conjuring with some of the stories that he's telling on these songs, but I I like that. You know, like they don't shy away from that. And right, um, well, they do it, they do it without being embarrassed about it, which is the important thing. Right. And it keeps it interesting, right? You know, as opposed to every song being about sex or, you know, every song being about politics or whatever. I I do like that they play with these other themes there, um, as we'll see on the third song. Indeed. Right. So let's move on to track three, Queen of Hearts. Moving, give our lives while she 
which is our Alice in Wonderland song for the, uh, you know, through the looking glass sort of song on the album. Uh, the freaking riff that this song opens with and the way from a production standpoint that it opens is just freaking awesome. I love it. With the the stuttering riff and the the stop start. And yeah, yes, dude, yeah. it's so good. It's so good. Like just, and this entire song is built around that riff. And if there's a if there's a knock on it, I think it's that this song maybe gets a little bit repetitive, but it that main riff is so good, and it's so it has that razor blade tone to it, you know, that when it uh, starts off, and then you get the keyboards coming in behind it and building that atmosphere. Uh, I I just freaking love it. This this is one of my favorite songs on the album, even though I don't think it's anywhere near the most complex song on the album it's just got a great riff to build around yeah it's uh i mean i do like this one and i appreciate the change of pace it's got it i like the riff what the and the melody is not bad but what as especially actually the um, the pre-chorus the careful way you tread you may lose your head that's that's a lovely melody that yep. i love that um but there's something about the vocal arrangement in this track that just doesn't quite hit it for me yep. it feels uh, I don't know. It just feels like it's not quite gelling with the music in places, including in the chorus, unfortunately, which brings the whole track down for me a bit. It feels it feels like he's filling space for no reason uh, in places, which I think is a shame. But like I say, it's not that I, I'm not saying I hate the track, quite the opposite. I think it is a good track, but I think it's one of those that, you know, you could take another run at it and maybe, you know, in doing so, turn it up, dial it up just a little um but i do like it overall yeah it's uh and i certainly appreciate again intelligent sort of you know smart um uh vivid lyrics yeah. you know obviously as you say based on the looking glass stuff but very well done i and i also feel like the pre-chorus the the chugs that they're doing it that to me sounds like load era metallica like oh. just the just the real heavy sort of you know uh bottom before they go into the chorus. And I, I agree, like the, the cadence is a little bit off. And although I do kind of like the megaphone effect that he puts on some of the vocals there, I, I did kind of dig that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's fair enough. That's uh you know, that's a nice effect when used sparingly, I think. Um, but yeah, as I say, overall a good track, just one of those that I feel, you know, could be better with maybe taking another run at it, but still. Sure. Um, uh, and then moving on, track four is Destroyer. I mean, this is motorcycle metal straight well, through and through. It is. Uh, but the funny thing is, 
apparently Biff Byford is a comics reader. Uh, and this is allegedly named for and about Odin's Thor. Destroyer from yes. Marvel. Yeah, from Marvel's that's, Thor. You know, it's funny. I didn't research it, but that's what I was thinking when I was listening to the lyrics of the song. <laughs> but I was like, huh. Uh, but I never actually went and followed up on yeah, that. Well, but that, that God, is cool. That comes across. Yeah. God's assassin makes no deal born uh-huh. of chaos forged in steel. I mean, yeah, it's uh, apparently, yeah, he's a fan. Yeah. I mean, great motorhead style riff to open up the song. I even feel like Biff sounds a bit like Lemmy in, you know, oh, some funny, of this song. I didn't get Motorhead from this at all. I got Maiden from really? this. Okay. Yeah, I, I could really imagine Maiden playing this song. I definitely get Maiden vibes off of a lot of the songs on this album, but the, not this particular one. I, I felt like this was more Motorhead, but... Uh, well, not the chorus. The chorus actually, yeah, probably is more Motorhead. I do like the chorus as well. There's a good groove uh, in it. Which you know, there's a surprising amount of groove in some of these tracks. Actually, I agree. Um, the my main criticism of this track is that the middle eight is a bit boring. It's just yeah. kind of it's just functional. Uh, and I think if there's a weakness in this album, a consistent weakness in this album, it's that they do kind of seem to lose interest when it comes to the middle eight. Uh, they just don't seem to make. There's a couple that are good, but yeah. most of them are just kind of serving time because they're like okay we've got to have a middle eight here let's just get it over with and then we can get back to the chorus you know yeah which which means mercifully they're short <laughs> i mean this one's only three minutes 21 seconds they did they, they got in and out pretty much overall on this song oh sure no but i mean the middle eights are short yeah like, the middle eights are literally eight bars in some cases it's just just do it get it well, over with so we can I mean, get it, back to it, the song <laughs> it goes back to what you're saying about the grinding wheel right where they don't they're not wasting a lot of time right right yeah yeah uh, and I like the ending, the mounting screams. Yeah, and speeding uh, up in the end of this. Yeah, yeah. As the key rises, it's a, it's a good climax. Yeah, but yeah, a, this Nate, one sounds like a, a a bar song to me. Like you know, um, yeah, that that sounds very much like a drinking beer. It, it just feels like a, a like motorcycle metal to me, which is what a lot of their catalog is, which is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that you heard Motet in it, and I heard Maiden. <laughs> bizarre uh isn't music wonderful yep so moving on track five is hard and fast I mean, another galloping straight ahead uh, motorcycle metal song. And that's the note I kept making on some of these here. Like, I feel like this is a song where, you know, Nibs and Nigel are really just bringing that galloping thunder. I just, uh, and I like the, 
the pre-chorus where you kind of have the sliding riff and it and it opens up a little bit more. So it goes from this tight, like galloping, you know, sort of rhythm to opening up a little bit more right before the chorus. Yeah, it's uh, for me, if the previous song is their maiden track for me, this is their Judas Priest song. This really, really brought Priest to mind uh, for me. And it's kind of okay, but it's it doesn't grab me. Uh, I mean, they I almost get a little proggy in some, like they really slow it down at ah, a couple well, of points. But, but that's the thing, right? I was going to say, I think a better chorus in this might have elevated it. The chorus feels a bit pedestrian, but no, I, but this is the first middle eight that I do really like yep. where it slows down and it has that six, eight rhythm going on that brings you into the solo. And yep. it's a good solo as well. You have the halftime tempo change at the end. Oh, the harmonizing the, guitar is like great stuff. Right, and the end itself actually feels very Motorhead. So, uh, you know, that kind of like, that's very Motorhead. And very metal in general, but Motorhead really did kind of make an art of it. So, yeah, it's kind of, I don't mind this song, but it most of it feels a bit a bit pedestrian to me, unfortunately. Does it feel like to you that this album is dipping a little bit in the middle overall? A little, but actually not yet. The, the The worst dip for me comes later. Uh, okay. This is this is at least, as I say, this track doesn't do a lot for me, but at least it still has energy, uh, and it's still kind of it holds my interest at the very least. It may not excite me, but it at least, at least still kind of sort of you know keeps hold of me. Um, yeah. Uh, and then we move on. So that's we're basically halfway through now. So track six is Eye of the Storm. Which I think has a good chorus, has this sort of creeping riff. Um, right before the solo, the where Nigel's just hammering on the the cymbals. I love that's my favorite part of the song. And it even gets a little kind of, I feel like megadethy in the sense that there's that spoken words over notes sort of yeah. thing that Mustaine likes to do quite a bit on uh a variety of different Megadeth songs. And so for me, I that that pulled me even closer to the song a little bit more, you know, but I feel like overall it's got this sort of relentless feel to it. You see the Megadeth thing. You're absolutely right, but I don't like it when Megadeth do it either. (laughs) 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 And I I don't like it here. I think it actually does the song a disservice. Okay. Cause I think they're just too on the nose. Um, you know, cause there's nothing surprising about the lyrics or the content or the skit or, 
or even the music, really. I like the main riff on this, but I think the drums don't suit it. I think uh-huh. the drums should be... If the drums were playing double time with the same riff, I think this song would be a lot stronger. It would certainly work better for me. Um, apart from that, it's all just a bit kind of... You know, you hear the riff, you see the title of the song, and you're like, okay, I know what this is going to be. And mm-hmm. it is. And, you know, that's not always a bad thing, but given that the first few tracks actually did have some surprises in there and did make me go, oh, wasn't expecting that. Um, You know, it's a shame to then come into a couple of tracks that felt a bit predictable. Yeah, no, I could see that. Yep. And the Megadeth thing, like, I I think that you either like that or you don't like that, you know, that that sort of spoken word bit. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. I I have no objection to sort of spoken word bits and clips per se. I just, you know, I'd like them to be a bit more interesting. (laughs) Yeah, fair Um, enough. So, uh, track seven, Stand Your Ground. I mean, this is another, this song to me feels very Motorhead. Oh, okay. Okay. Great. You know, it builds around a great riff. You've got soaring guitars. You get a little synth kind of proggy stuff going on at about two and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I felt like when he's, the, the whole waiting for the fall stuff was almost a little DO-esque at, at some point. So it had a lot of elements to me that I like. Whether or not it came together perfectly in the song, I'm not sure. But there, there are, I thought, several interesting elements that they're playing around with here. Uh, yeah, I think you and I are of the same mind then on this one. Yeah, I, I think it's not an A plus track, but it rocks. It's got a good yeah. riff. The drums are excellent. Like, yeah, absolutely, really, really great. I mean, just the, the hits on "Stand Your Ground," dun dun dun. You yeah. know, they 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 really emphasize. Uh, they do a good job of emphasizing the vocals in this song. Right. The chorus is really aggressive, actually, like surprisingly aggressive. And I really like that. Um, and that double guitar attack, like, you know, that, that's, yeah. uh, that to me is very uh, metal. And I, I love that middle eight with, the, as you said, the arpeggiated uh, keyboards, big epic guitars and drums crashing around. That's quality. That, yep. I, that, for me, is the best part of this song. I absolutely love that. Um, the, the song... It's funny that you, again, Motorhead, I didn't get Motorhead from it at all, but I think that was because it kept making me think of, there is a song on the first Gamma Ray album called Hold Your Ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't sound anything like this, but I kept thinking of that track while I was listening to this one and thinking, I could imagine Gamma Ray playing this song. Like, and Gamma Ray obviously are not a Norban band. They're um, Kai Hansen's band after he yeah. left 
Halloween. Uh, so they're they're of a sort of you know they're an era later than Nuobum. But I could well imagine Gamma Ray playing this song, which you know is not a bad thing at all. Um, but maybe that's why I didn't think of Motet because I was just too preoccupied <laughs> thinking of Gamma but Ray. <laughs> what I like about this song is like here's an example of them playing with some different elements than just the straight ahead, yes. you know, uh, rock and roll stuff. And even when they're playing with these things, they never stray too far away to at, so as to become un- unrecognizable. You know what I mean? Right. So it's never too much of a departure. It's always like, and I like that they have this sort of, uh, and I would say the same thing of, of Thunderbolt, their new album, you know, where they understand the playing field that they're on and they stay on that field. And so I like how they'll stretch a little bit here or they'll incorporate a couple, you know, a little more synths here or something like that. But they, you never forget that it's Saxon. And that's yeah. what's kind of awesome about that. So even the songs that they don't, you know, uh, nail it 10 out of 10 in terms of execution, even if it's a seven, eight in terms of execution, like I, I like the effort and I like, uh, I like how they're stretching within the, you know, the parameters of, of what makes a Saxon song. Yeah, and in that respect, actually, that is a very similar thing to Motorhead, especially from the sort of mid-90s onwards. I mean, the album, the Motorhead album that we did, Sacrifice, has a lot of that on it. It has yep. stuff where they're clearly stretching what Motorhead is, but they never lose sight of, right. you know, at the same time, we are Motorhead and this is what people want. <laughs> yeah, and it's, to me, that, that kind of approach uh, feels to me like more of a, we are exploring uh, our own creativity without disrespecting our fans or our our sound you well, know what without I mean? it like, feeling forced exactly like we're not chasing we're not chasing a radio hit we're not right. chasing something we're stretching we know who we are and we never lose sight of who we are but we're we can be creative within that and that type of stuff i really appreciate from bands as opposed to the complete departure record because this is the latest trend sort of thing so I like that even on an album where the, it's filled with straight ahead Saxon songs, they'll they got a couple of songs in here where they're stretching it out a little bit, and I I dig it. Yeah, yeah, nailed it. I agree one hundred percent. And you won't know that very often. <laughs> I know, right? Okay, someone just clipped that. It was good too because there was a pause after it, so somebody could just clip that. And I want to, uh, I actually send it to me so that I can use it as my text it's, notification it's ringtone, from Anthony. Yeah. So every time Anthony texts me, they just say, "I agree one hundred percent." all right uh moving on moving on track eight is top of the world
this song, I feel like I say this every song, but a brutal riff. Um, I feel like this is a a melding of Judas Priest and Iron Maiden together. Oh, this is very Maiden, this track. Yeah. yeah very Maiden. And it feels like Seventh Son Iron Maiden to me. That's kind of the vibe that I got. Oh, I was you thinking know, more Power Slave, but, okay, but yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're, we're still in the Maiden era. territory, yeah. so I yeah, would yeah. say you you agree 85% on this one. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, you got the riff under the individual notes during the verse. I like that. Um, again, I feel like this is a, a cool um, thing of where if you weren't paying attention and you just sort of gave it a cursory listen and you maybe only listened to this album once, like some of the nuances, I don't think saxon gets a lot of credit for because a lot of their stuff does feel like that sort of motorcycle metal um and i would say the same thing of motorhead right where where it is it is through the repeated listens that you start to really appreciate some of the layers that they have going on and how they are stretching within uh different songs and so yeah the, this one to me uh brings those those maiden and priest sort of elements together and it it it, it feels like a song that sits well with them and their contemporaries yeah, I mean, it's one of those songs that, again, there aren't really any surprises in it. Yep. Uh, but there's also nothing bad about it. You know, it's a well-executed track. The bass is very prominent on this track as well, actually. Yep. Um, so this is, so I'm going to guess I'm wrong then, because I thought that this would be your favorite track. It is not. Ah, it, ah. We haven't gotten to my favorite track yet. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yep. Oh, oh, okay. Well, in that case, then I think I know what it is instead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I thought it would be this um, because of the priest and maiden vibes of it, and because of the chorus. I, I thought that this would be your your go to song, as it were. I mean, I pretty I feel like this is one of Saxon's most consistent efforts as an album, and so I do really kind of just love it top to bottom. But, sure. Um, yeah, no, the best is yet to come for me. Okay, all right. Well, let's move on then. So track nine is To The End. nice tribute to the fans right about you know yep. going going out on the road and coming back and seeing fans again and and how they uh what i like about this song is that it's actually more serious than it initially sort of lets on where it's not just that rah rah fans are cool sort of thing or like hey we're all in this together sort of thing to me it goes back to what we talked about at the top of the show where uh their approach to when the, from the interview with nibs like their approach to their music, their approach to what they bring the fans live, their approach to the fact that fans have stuck with them for 40 years now, like that, 
that appreciation it to me it 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 was a little bit deeper than most fans are cool songs that bands sort of put out there so and it may, maybe i'm just putting um some of my own feelings into it because uh, having seen them live but i do feel like it's it, it was a nice tribute to the fans the song no i i mean i've never seen them live and i got very similar sort of vibes it's very much about a kind of that and again you only really get this in uh you know sort of hard rock and metal yeah uh the hard rock and metal world where it's kind of like we're all on the, in this together like yep. you know we are we're a band of brothers ancestors and you know anything else and we are all going down this road together because we're the outsiders because nobody you get us nobody else gets us but you get us and we get you this uh, is our and, world you know, that's it's what, who we are that right. that like and we would just, never change a thing and, and we that's would what, never change a thing like exactly. so great yeah and that's what kind of locks you know the band and the audience together in this world so i absolutely got that from this song i love the chorus riff on this it is kind of sleazy it's a bit greasy. Yes, uh, it, it, I totally agree. I, I agree hundred percent. Hey, I really, really like it. Unfortunately, I don't like the rest of the song. Uh, you know, everything except the chorus is a bit kind of yeah, a bit. Meh I don't for me. like the main riff. The you verse I mean? is just kind yeah, of yeah. The bomb, see, bomb, and this is the dip for me. Ba-dum, bam, bam, ba-dum. I don't care for that piece of it, but I do like the, the where you know where you're singing. This is our world. It's who we are. I like that sort of staggered, um, you know, drum heavy yeah. uh, piece there. I love the sentiment of the song, but yeah, it's not. Oh, sure, I, I like the lyrics. Yeah, yeah, but the this is where my attention slips. Unfortunately, this okay. is the track where uh, it just kind of slides off of my brain. Um, yeah, and it's no, it's only this one track. Because, of course, the next track, you know, love it or hate it, you can't help but sort of go, oh, blimey, well, that's different. Um, But unfortunately, yeah, this is the one track. If I was going to cut a track from the album, it would be this one. Because up until this point, it holds my interest. Uh, You know, whether I like it or not, it's always got my interest. But this track just kind of, yeah. You know, yeah, it's the sentiment that that carries this one for me. And, but you're absolutely right. It's definitely not, it's one of the weaker. Musical, yeah. yeah, musically, one of the weaker songs on the album for sure. Yeah, but like I say, the next track you can't help but uh, but let it grab your attention because it is so different to the rest of the album. So that is track ten, Kingdom of the Cross. It didn't matter much at all to the generals how you died, but to your families back at home, you were heroes side by side. The unknown soldier never known A cross to mark your grave But we remember what you did In our hearts you will remain Where is this land where I am now? A million spirits cry A generation loved and lost Never ask him why So wave the flags and say goodbye To a generation lost they're marching into history To the kingdom The kingdom of the cross I freaking love this song I love it I love everything about it I mean this so, is So is this your favorite? Uh, it might be a tie Oh, With okay. this and the next one And the next uh, one, right, right I okay. love them for very different reasons um, <laughs> yeah, But yeah, yeah. 
God, I love this song. The atmosphere of this song, the somber, just heartfelt. Oh God. So I, I love Biff's spoken word performance on this song. Like I, I love everything about this song. Like you could argue whether this is the right place for this song, you know, in terms of its mm-hmm. placement on the album, but God, do I love this song. I, I just, uh, I think the main rhythm of the song just perfectly fits the emotion that they're trying to invoke and the somberness of the lyrics. Like I really, really, uh, love what they're trying to do here funnily enough somber is exactly the word that i've got here in my notes for this Uh track as well which is suitable given the subject matter obviously yep it's i think musically it's not all that interesting to be honest it's Um, not complicated it's pretty straight ahead and it's repeated over and over again but it's it's not just that it's repetitive it's that to me i don't know i think i would have preferred this with slightly more ominous sounding uh music behind Byford's um, performance. But that said, let's face it, this track is all about his lyrics and, you know, the spoken word performance. Um, And that's what matters. And that is great. Like, that is fucking great. This is, funnily enough, again, here they come again. This is motorhead level stuff. You're like, you know, you stupid evil bastards that you think war is a game. Yep. You fu- you fuckers. You know, th- this is, that's it. half of Motorhead songs were that. Yep. <laughs> and, th- and this is very much that. And it, the delivery is full of venom and contempt. Oh, contempt for sure. Absolutely. Acid awe. Yes. Yeah, and 100%. Yeah, really, really like it. And I also appreciate the fact that he reads it in his native Yorkshire accent for the for the non-British people. Have you wondered what a uh, you know Yorkshire accent sounds like? This is it. It's very yeah. Yorkshire, very very Barnsley. Um, and I appreciate the fact that he does that rather than trying to put on an accent to read it. You know, he doesn't sort of put on a performing accent like some yeah. people might. Um, and yeah, and the lyrics obviously and the the message within them are just kind of it's hard to fault. You know, they're really really well done, well said. And well performed. It's uh, it's great. Yeah, and it reminds me a lot of Crusader, which uh, has a different vibe to it, but almost as like a companion piece to it. Uh, and sort of the darker side of the the other side of the coin to uh, to Crusader. So it's it, to me, it almost harkens all the way back to the Crusader album, um, which is pretty cool. Uh, that they that they have a song that kind of brings it all the way back to freaking thirty something years ago. Well, um, and I'm sure that's probably no accident, right? Yeah, and just like a, so, and again, to see so so hearkening back to Crusader, like this is not outside of the realm of a Saxon song at all, right? And so, even though on this album it's a departure from what we've been hearing, and that's the, goes back to what we talked about a couple songs ago of the whole like stretching and and um you know, having uh, some uh, some stylistic differences, but with staying within the same playing field, right? Yeah. So this is not uh, this is not alien to a Saxon fan, but it's a departure from a lot of what we heard on this album. But it felt oh, like I, the emotion of it, I just freaking love. Yeah, no, it completely stands apart on the album, but I understand what you're saying, that it's not, yeah, it's not that unusual for them as a band. Yeah, totally. So, so you talked about placement. So what, do you think this should be the last track? No, because, and this is weird, because the next track is listed as a bonus track in the deluxe edition of the album. However, 
in every review I've seen and most of the sites that sell the Saxon album, it's just listed as track 11. So I saw the same thing. Yeah. I was like, you know, Oh, it's a bonus track, but then every single listing of this album I saw, I'm like, but it's there on every version. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And so I'm treating it as if it is part of the layout of this album. And I feel like track 11 is a perfect ending track. Now, Having said that, if track 11 is truly a bonus track that, you know, the the standard cut of the album, you know, people haven't heard that, then I question Kingdom of the Cross as the last song. Interesting. I would, I would maybe, although I don't know what song it fits in between, you know, that, to- yeah, See, that's the, that's the trouble. In the, in the days of albums, you could put this at the end of side one and it would be fine. But in the, you know, in these days of not albums, um... I think it has to go at the end. Um, and I kind of wish that it was the final track, even though it doesn't do, you know, that whole thing of making you want to flip the album right. over and, and start again. Which is where I'm coming at it from. Yeah. Right, right. Exactly. And it doesn't do that. I acknowledge that, but it is so different to the rest of the track and it has such a different vibe in that really somber, you know, sort of cynical, um, but also, paying respects kind of vibe that the song yep. has. Yep. I feel like it has to be the final track. You can't put it anywhere else on this album, I don't think. Well, if that, and I I don't disagree with that. That's a great point. Um, if we're not considering track 11 as a bonus track, then I then maybe we bump track 11 up before Kingdom of the Cross. Oh, I would, yeah, totally. Kingdom, yeah. Because I think track 11 also would serve as a nice um, bounce back from track nine. Yes. No, know, I, I would agree. So, I would agree, absolutely, yeah. So no, it puts I, us back on solid ground, and then we can finish on the more contemplative, reflective sort of note. Yep. I uh, again, I agree a hundred percent. So let's talk so, about track eleven. Yeah. So track eleven, three sheets to the wind. I mean, if this isn't 100% Bon Scott era ACDC, this is the ACDC track. Holy yeah, 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 shit. Yeah. Like, and that's why it's so hard for me to choose between Kingdom of the Cross and this one as far as my favorite, because they're, they're complete opposite ends of the spectrum, uh, emotionally, lyrically, musically. But boy, do I love both of these songs. So to me, like, this album has a super strong finish because my two favorite songs are on the end of the album. Um, Man, it's a drinking song. I mean, lyrically, straight ahead, having fun, drinking, but holy shit, do I love it. I love the way it's such an ACDC way of striking those chords and letting them just sort of ring out over the bass line. The bass line is ACDC. I feel like Biff is channeling Bon Scott 
you know, the Angus fills, the tone of the guitar overall, just like to me, this is as great of a tribute to ACDC as the uh, they played rock and roll is to Motorhead. You know, it's just, it, it, to me, it feels like a complete tip of the cap to Bon Scott era ACDC. Um, just awesome. I just love it. See, my only problem with that is that I'm I'm not an ACDC fan. So. <laughs> well, there you go, right? And so yeah. if, if you love ACDC, and particularly the Bon Scott era of ACDC, I feel like this is just injected straight into your veins. Like, it's it, it as soon as I heard the that you know it's a visceral reaction yes the baseline and just the bow now now i was like holy shit this is acdc like just <laughs> absolute perfect um yeah i actually love it i i admit i'm not really a fan uh of this it's just kind of it doesn't bother me you know it's a good rousing track but it's just kind of yeah well yeah whatever um uh, uh again going back to talking about motorhead again they did a song called we are the road crew which yep. is a similar kind of vibe in terms of like the lyrics to this, but I, I I have to say I prefer that one because I feel like We Are the Road Crew has a bit more humor and sort of cynical tribute behind it, whereas this I don't know again it's just kind of, it's a bit on the nose. There are no real surprises in the lyrics, uh, unfortunately. I wonder this. if you could have took the lyrics from uh, to the end the fan tribute song and applied them to the music of oh. three sheets to the wind and got yourself a kick-ass tribute to the fans that hey, might that, be a now, fist pumping encore. Yeah. yeah now that would have been an interesting thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Isn't yeah, it's it funny like, how that stuff works out. Yeah. Cause like I say, musically, you know, it is a rousing song. I have no, it, it's, it's fine. It's just, it's dad metal, but you know, whatever. I have no problem with it. I just but, picture yeah, Malcolm. Uh, the, you know what it is? It's not even Angus so much or, or it, it, Bon Scott, you know, vocally, but to me, I just can picture Malcolm just strumming that rhythm, uh, you know, and it just brought, it brought me great ACDC vibes. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, as I say, as a final track, I can see it de- It definitely does that whole makes you want to go back to the start and start all over again thing. But after such a kind of, as I say, a lovely somber end or what we thought was the end, you know, with the previous track, I don't know, it just kind of doesn't work for me. Um, and actually, I've just seen in my notes, I put it in the notes for this song rather than the previous one. But one of the reasons that I think Kingdom of the Cross would make a good closer is because thematically it mirrors the opening track. You know, they are both ostensibly about war, um, but with mourning instead of celebration. So it's a nice kind of, it is literally a mirror, Uh, you know, so I think that would have been a nice balance, but you know, whatever. Um, But yeah, as I say, this track, it's, it's fine. It doesn't offend me, but yeah, you know, it doesn't do anything for me either. But overall, I will say this album was definitely heavier than I expected. Uh, like no question that I was not expecting something this heavy. I was not expecting those kind of double bass, uh, kicks like, holy shit. <laughs> you know? Yeah. For, right. Um, yeah. And I was not expecting something this energetic and yeah, it, it did surprise me it genuinely. I was like, wow. Okay. This is not what I expected for a band that is this old and has been around this long and whose members are frankly so old. <laughs> I know. And that's honestly what I hope the takeaway was for anyone who maybe wasn't that familiar with Saxon is that they're like, holy shit, I might have to go back and dig into, you know, what these guys have done before. Now, as I said before, I feel like from a production standpoint, 
uh, a lot of the stuff in their back catalog doesn't come across as heavy as uh, this album when you listen to it until you see it live and then you see it all. Um, because this this album to me really represents the heft and the metal edge of what they sound like live. And that's why I think it's a great, you know, if not an introduction to Saxon, then a, hey, go back and look at this band album from Saxon. And, uh, and I've seen them over the past few years, three times now, I saw them with Armored Saint. Uh, I saw them with, uh, who did I see at the Worcester Palladium? Oh, with UFO. That was the night I met Biff. And then I saw them with Judas Priest. And Oh, was that the gig you took your son to? Yes, the Judas mm. Priest one, which is uh, which I'm so glad that he got to see Priest and Saxon. I mean, that's that's amazing. And he's not even a huge metal fan, but he has now seen some legendary metal right, bands right, and will yeah. always be able to say that he saw these legendary metal bands. Um, and I guess they didn't open with uh, with Battering Ram when I saw Matt Mohegan. So they opened with Thunderbolt. But uh, but Battering Ram has become the song off of this album that they tend to play live. And the thing about Saxon is with a 40 year history. There's so many older hits that they have <laughs> to play when they go out right. yeah, yeah, yeah. that you're only getting one or two songs off the newer albums when you go out. But, but don't do not let that stop you. I mean, I will say that saw them three times live all three times. They were as good, if not better than the bands that they may have even been opening up. Like when I would see them with UFO, they were the best band of the night by far. Um, when I went to see them with armored Saint, I freaking love armored Saint, but Saxon destroyed that night. And that with Judas Priest, I mean, Judas Priest was amazing. Saxon right there with them, you know, right, like they're, right. they're, 50, they're 50. one of those bands that I feel like you don't want to have open for you because right, I would say the right. same thing. I can't remember if Motorhead opened for Anthrax when I saw them, but it's one of those things where like, you got to be careful when you have some of these bands open for you because they're too good to, to follow. You know, yeah. and Saxon is one of those bands where, because a lot of people may not be expecting them to be that heavy, you walk away freaking destroyed at the end of a, one of their shows because you just cannot believe the the power that they bring to the stage. It's just really, it's a joy to see. So I would say, man, if you ever get a chance to see Saxon, anybody who's listening to this and you haven't seen them, whether you think you're a fan of them or not, see them live and you will at the very least walk away with just a tremendous amount of respect for what these guys bring to a live performance. They're just a, a joy and really solidified for me the fact that um, I needed to really dig into that. And so now I'm exploring all of their back catalog and Crusaders become a, just an absolute favorite of mine, like such good stuff in their back catalog. Yeah, I saw um, they do play festivals as well. Yep. Uh, not a huge amount, but they do play them. And I saw uh, an interview with Byford where he said that he actually quite likes playing festivals just because, again, you can't fuck around. Like, you know, you've, you've, got, a, you've got your 40-minute slot or whatever, and you've got to get in, do your thing to a crowd, most of whom probably aren't there for you, and yep. then get the fuck out again. And there's just, you know, there's no time to, there's no room for flab, no time for messing around. And he likes that. He appreciates, again, this a road band, you know? It's like, yeah, we can do that. This is what we do every night. Bring it on. Um, and one of the things that they occasionally do, apparently, especially at festivals, is just rip up the playlist and take requests. Yep. And like, I have the, seen the, that the, happen live. The entire set is just yep. people shouting out songs. And that's, again, when you've got 40 years of songs. Absolutely, dude. You know, but think how many songs they all have to know. 
<laughs> to be able to I, do that. I'm telling that. you right now, I, I feel like they're a band where you could name the most obscure song in their catalog and they will kill it. Uh, I mean, just because they, they have a, they, I feel like they have such a respect for their own music and musical legacy that like, they know that every song is somebody's favorite song. Right. You so the idea mean? that they wouldn't know one of their own songs Correct. Is, ana- is anathema. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. dude. Like, and, and what's cool is like, if you look, go and look back at like the bands they've toured with, you mentioned Motorhead, but they have toured with everyone. In fact, when they went out on the, um, uh, tour for battering Ram in the UK, they toured with Fastway and girl school. Yes. That's because, uh, that's because, uh, there was an aborted, they were they were touring with Motorhead and Girl School and possibly yep. Fastway as well, uh, and then that got aborted, I think, because of Lemmy's health problems, yeah. uh, and so that's why they went back out on the road with those two bands again. Which again, you know, you've got to figure. I mean, Girl School have around as long as Motorhead, so seventy eight, I think. Right, so you've got to figure again. They're probably all friends, and Fastway yep. is Fast Eddie Clark's band, uh, and was probably one of the last. Times because he wasn't going out a Last lot at that, that time he did. before yeah, he did exactly before he passed and so um, I just think that that piece too is like I would like to see more books about that piece like the like a band like Saxon the bands they've toured with and just like not uh, and not like partying anecdotes and stuff like that but just like imagine sitting with Biff Byford and saying well t- tell me about you know when you guys toured with Fastway or tell me about when you toured with Girl School or like. Imagine the freaking stories and just like the circles that they were in together and the, you know, the conversations they've had over the years as bands that have been around for this long. It's just, uh, to me, that's just like a, a, a mystery that we don't get enough of a look at, you know? Absolutely. Although, again, having sort of seen and read some interviews with Bye for now, I kind of figure that half the time he go, I'm sorry, I was pissed. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Much like Motorhead, seems to have spent a lot of time on the road, just a bit too drunk to remember. <laughs> I know, right? Not too drunk to perform, but too drunk to remember what happened. <laughs> there is a uh, there is a biography that came out in the mid two thousands from an autobiography of Biff's. I think that, and I haven't read it, but I might go back and uh, and check it out and see what that's like because I, you know, just the the legacy of this band and and the amount of shows they've done and the amount of albums they've done and it's just uh it's just tremendous so and i feel like w- he said in an interview that i quoted earlier you know we've hit a bit of a golden sea with this particular time period i honestly do feel like for saxon and some of the other bands that were around when we were kids but maybe we didn't get enough of a of a taste of or something like that some of these bands that are still around and putting out this music now it's your chance to get in when maybe you missed it the first time around. And so for, for me, that was what happened with Saxon. And I, I, I feel lucky that I got to get in and dig deep and also see these guys live while they're still around. And it's, uh, it, it's pretty awesome. Like it, it's been one of my favorite musical experiences in a long time is just sort of the discovering Saxon anew. Uh, sure. Great. I mean, I, I'm not going to go back and listen to old stuff because I've heard enough now to know that the eighties era of Saxon isn't, you know, this isn't my thing for the same reason that a lot of the eighties bands like that weren't really my thing, but I am absolutely going to go and pick up Thunderbolt now. Uh, you know, if this is more their sort of new, you know, their, their modern direction, I am absolutely going to go and listen to Thunderbolt because yeah, as I say, 
This album is not 100% for me by any means, but it is strong. You know, that it is a strong album and it is one that I will enjoy re-listening to, no question. Yeah, and there, you know, uh, not surprisingly, he has already talked about recording a new album in 2019. So I would say that by 2020, we will have another Saxon album. I, I don't sense from anything that I've seen from Biff Byford or, or any of the other guys that they will stop as long as they are still alive and able to go out and put on any semblance of a performance. They will, are going to continue to make music. So, Which is, again, a very motorhead attitude. It's like we, <laughs> we are literally going to keep making records until Lemmy dies. Yes, yeah. that's, <laughs> and I feel like that's the same path that they're on, and, and but a path that is genuine and that they burned, you know? Oh, totally, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no question. All right, so uh, before we get into the homework, let me uh, just give everyone the ending spiel, as usual. Thank you for listening, and uh, if you enjoy the show, please do remember to tell your friends, spread the word, rate us on iTunes uh, or the Google Play podcast store or anywhere else. Uh, We're probably actually going to wind up on Spotify, actually. Um, I need to look into that. Spotify have started their own podcast directory, apparently. Yep. Uh, which it does not use the Apple podcast directory as its base. So you have to register separately. So I need to look into how we get onto that because uh, Spotify are making some big moves in podcasting. So I think we're probably going to have to get on there as well. But in the meantime, we're definitely on iTunes and Google Play. And of course, remember, you can support us directly at patreon.com slash thrash it out. All contributions and pledges, no matter how big or small, are very much appreciated because they help us keep making this show and in the case of actually uh this year uh, I just sent Brian a check uh for his <laughs> contributions to this show and it's going to uh, he's going to be able to upgrade his equipment so yep you know that's exactly what the, make no mistake that stuff goes right back into yep. the show so uh exactly yeah we yeah. appreciate that uh so uh oh and if you want to get in touch of course you can go to thrashedoutpodcast.com uh which has links to our email uh the the show email and our individual twitter accounts and of course you can join the facebook group which is at facebook.com slash groups slash thrashing out homework this was a tough one for me there are a few albums that i want to do this volume and i've i've gone back and forth on the order in which to do the remaining albums i really it's just like, I know now, the choices get tough, right? I mean, yeah, I, yeah. like it, it really, and then, you know, and then you'll think of another album and you'll be like, crap, do I try to work that in this volume? Or I feel you, man, it gets tougher as the volume goes on. Like e- even now, even now I am looking at it and thinking uh, that one, this one, uh, yep. am I making the right, putting them in the right order, you know, whatever. But, but the choice is made. So next time we are doing Sepultura's Chaos AD. Yes. It's so mm. funny, dude. I actually picked up a few Sepultura albums again in a CD format a little while ago. Uh, it was Arise and uh, Roots, though. Oh, um, right. Okay. So the album's either side of this. <laughs> yes, exactly. But so, which is why I love that you chose this one. So I'm glad because I, I definitely um, had them on my list as a band that, and they also fit well with the theme that I have for the season of Respecting Your Elders because they are they are definitely part of that landscape maybe not the early landscape but definitely in terms of contributions to metal right well that's the thing you and i are old men now so you know yes. bands that feel new to us are actually are not <laughs> right absolutely <laughs> um yes yeah, so yeah they do kind of match your theme and uh, maybe this is the time i should confess i actually do kind of have a theme this volume i just haven't told anybody what it is 
and I'm going to wait until we get to the end to see if anybody figures out what my theme is. Um, Ooh, a mystery. Yeah, yeah. I, How I, very writerly of you. <laughs> mystery box. I'd be surprised if anybody does work it out, but you never know. You never know. We have smart listeners. So, yeah, next time, Chaos AD. Uh, I love it. Sepultura. Surely everyone listening to this has a copy of Chaos AD. If you don't, I'm sure you can get it on, you know, Apple Music, Spotify, buy it from your local, uh, you know, record store or whatever. Surely, you know, it's an absolute classic. So uh, we are going to enjoy talking about that one, I am sure. Absolutely. All right. So until then, take care, everyone. Keep thrashing. We'll see you next time. Bye. I stole your line. I said, take care. I'm so sorry. No, that's all right. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see if anybody notices.